Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior associate pastor, Dr. John Light. Our sermon text this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, the final verses of that chapter, beginning at verse 25. Hear the word of God. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint." Father, we ask for your help by the Spirit to apply this word to our lives. You would open our hearts and our minds through Jesus Christ. Amen. In the late 1600s in southern France, a 14-year-old girl, Marie Durant, was brought before the authorities. She was charged with being a Huguenot, a French Protestant, She was called upon to abjure or reject her gospel faith in Jesus Christ. She refused. As a result, she was imprisoned in a tower by the sea with 30-some other Huguenot women, an imprisonment that lasted the rest of her life, 38 years, until she died at age 52. Today, tourists can still see the single word resiste, resist, which Marie and her fellow martyrs scratched on the wall of the prison tower. One writer makes this statement about her endurance. We do not understand the terrifying simplicity of a religious commitment which asks nothing of time and gets nothing from time. To sit in a prison room with 39 others and to see the day change into night and summer into autumn, to feel the slow systemic changes within one's flesh, the drying and wrinkling of the skin, the loss of muscle tone, the stiffening of the joints, to feel all this and still to persevere seems almost idiotic to a generation which has no capacity to wait, and to endure. Verse 31 of our text says, But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. To wait and endure out of 
trust in God, whatever may come, is something to which every one of us as believers is called to, whether you are 14 or 44 or 94. And I want us to look at this text under two main points. The first, the promise of renewing strength. And then secondly, the call to wait on the Lord. First, then, the promise of renewing strength for weak and weary believers. Isaiah prophesied to the nation of Judah during a time of great difficulty and hardship for the nation. The the terrifying military superpower of the time, Assyria, was bearing down on them. Just imagine what it was like to live under the constant threat of enemy soldiers showing up on the horizon and devastating your town or city and the prospect even of a siege and famine and all the terrible atrocities of war that might come. And yet, chapter 40 begins with these words, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. And then verse 5, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. We can almost hear Handel's Messiah as we hear that phrase. The problem was for the people of that day that the comfort was not immediately evident to them. And the glory which would be revealed wouldn't happen in its fullness for hundreds of years when Jesus Christ would come in fulfillment of this prophecy. And in their weakness and in their weariness and in their doubt and and growing despair, the people were walking in the mindset of verse 27. And they were saying, my way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. They were complaining to the Lord. They were more and more believing that God had abandoned them, that he didn't see or didn't care about their hardships and distress and that he wasn't answering their prayers for his help. I want us to take note of this context, this anguished context for this promise of renewing strength. There are times in the life of every Christian when he or she is especially weary, when life overwhelms, when the journey is very hard, even so that we are tempted to repeat this complaint of the ancient Israelites. Asaph in Psalm 73 felt that, this great writer of that psalm. He felt the powerful temptation to look at his life this way. And in verse 13, he says, Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In other words, in vain have I walked with God and trusted in Him and obeyed Him. For all day long, he writes, I have been stricken. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Have you ever looked at your life and thought, this is wearisome to think about my life? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 can write, we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. Maybe this morning you are deeply weary of circumstances in your life, circumstances that may never change or might not change that much. Maybe weary of praying and seeing no apparent answer maybe weary of struggling with the temptations of your own heart and your own sin. But it's to people in that very context that God gives this gracious promise 
And the Bible repeats it over and over again. This promise of renewing strength, even in the midst of of this kind of weariness and suffering. The promise is for grace to endure and persevere in the midst of weariness. And God gives us these wonderful metaphors at the end of Isaiah 40 to help us to believe and to hold on to the promise of His power when we so often feel the limits of our own strength and endurance. In verse 29, it says it this way, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. What comes to mind when we think of young men? Strength, right? Health, the vigor of youth. Someone told me the other day that LeBron James spends about a million dollars a year on treatments and supplements to keep his body young enough to play in the NBA. But verse 30 is pointing to the ultimate failure uh, and inadequacy of human strength when it comes to persevering in faith in Christ, when it comes to continuing to walk in faith and to believe the Word of God, even in hardship and pain, because it says, young men shall fall exhausted. But, verse 31 goes on, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Now remember, this is a metaphor. This does not mean that the Christian just soars like an eagle through problems and trials. It doesn't mean that we float somehow stress-free and burden-free and worry-free as if we're, we're already in glory. No, we're not in glory yet. We live in this broken world and we feel our weakness. No, but it is a promise that as we trust in the Lord, He promises to give us supernatural power and grace, even if we don't feel like it's enough to make us like an eagle floating above it all. It's like Paul praying about his thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, what he calls in one verse, a messenger of Satan to harass me. We don't know what the thorn was, maybe some kind of physical infirmity. But Paul could write, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Do you see the pattern Scripture holds forth? Human weakness, often not the removal of the circumstance that we'd like to see changed, but God's grace through Jesus Christ giving strength for the moment and teaching us to rely on Him and helping us to continue to glorify Him and trust in Him. That's the promise of renewing strength. And God's promises along these lines are multiplied in the Bible. Just look at this section of Isaiah. I'll just quote three of them from Isaiah 41 and 43. Isaiah 41.10, a very familiar verse. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Many of you know that one by heart. Or Isaiah 41, 17 and 18. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness 
a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. What a picture that gives us of the Lord's provision in a desert place. Or Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, I am your Savior. It doesn't mean that even a Christian may not be put to death for his faith or her faith in Christ. But it's this promise for strength in the midst of that. When I think about these promises, I think about an experience in gym class in high school sometimes that we had this pegboard in gym class. It was this, uh, this vertical climbing board that has holes in it, and there were pegs that fit in the holes, and you're supposed to climb up as high as you could go. Of course, it was like doing pull-ups there on the, on the wall. Well, the promises of God function something like that pegboard We hold to God's Word. It's an anchor for our souls. It's like the hole that you put the peg of faith into and hold on to God's Word. We hold to this promise of renewing strength to endure with our eyes fixed on our gracious God. I was reminded recently of a famous example of this promise being fulfilled in the life of George Whitfield during the Great Awakening. Whitfield, the famous evangelist, had been preaching nonstop for 34 years since he was 21. It's estimated that he had preached by this time near his death about 18,000 sermons in his life, many of them two hours or more long, and many of them outdoors to thousands where you had to really work to let yourself be heard. And in 1770, at the end of his life, he was preaching through the colonies on his seventh visit to America, and he knew he was dying. He was 55 years old and barely able to stand anymore, but as he arrived in Exeter, Massachusetts, a great crowd had gathered hoping he would preach, which was often the case. Wherever he went, crowds would gather and ask him to preach to them. And as he considered this request, a friend said to him, Sir, you are more fit to go to bed than to preach. True, sir, Whitfield replied. And then, clasping his hands together and looking up to heaven, he added, Lord Jesus, I am weary in thy work, but not of it. If I have not yet finished my course, let me go and speak for thee once more in the fields. Seal thy truth, come home and die." And so for two hours, Whitfield expounded the Word of God. Some said it was with such clarity and pathos that they considered it the greatest sermon that they had ever heard. He was holding forth Jesus Christ alone. And at one point, I like this illustration, he compares salvation by works to trying to climb to the moon on a rope of sand. And so he preached. And afterwards, he traveled to Newburyport, where he was to stay at the parsonage of Old South Presbyterian Church there. He excused himself from dinner because he wasn't hungry and he wanted to go to bed. But as he approached the stairs, a throng of people at the front door pleaded with him to speak a word to them. Some crowded into the hallway there, and Whitfield went up on the landing of the staircase and preached with a candle in his hand until the candle sputtered out, a fitting illustration of his life. And a few hours later, he was in glory. 
a life poured out for God and for the gospel. Certainly an extraordinary example of this promise of renewing strength in the very context of human frailty and weakness. But in our more ordinary lives, this promise holds true just the same for you and for me. And so we come to the second point, the call to wait on the Lord. Again, verse 31, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. To wait is to trust. Some translations translate it, but those who hope in the Lord, to to put our sure and certain hope in Jesus Christ. It means that out of a conviction of who God is, and especially His promises to us in Christ, that out of that conviction, we patiently trust in Him to act on our behalf in this life, in His time, and in His way. Did you hear that last part? That out of the conviction that conviction of who God is, we patiently trust in Him to act on our behalf as He wills in His time and in His way. It means that even when our God delays or answers in ways that we would never have expected, that even then we wait on the Lord and we do not turn aside to the idols of this world to be our comfort and our help and our resource. But we stand that He alone remains our God and our helper. This is no easy calling for us. This is a fight of faith in which we again and again cry out to our Lord for help to wait upon Him and to not turn aside to the idols of this world. Isaiah 40 gives us guidance as to how we fight this battle of faith. We do not simply wait on the Lord as a mere act of our will, as if by simply willing it, we can do it. Nor is it a matter of somehow merely stirring up our emotions. Rather, it is by fixing our eyes, the eye of faith, on the character and greatness and love of God through Christ as He is revealed in the Word of God. And we see this because we see that most of Isaiah 40 focuses on who God is. Isaiah 40, verse 9, we we read, Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, what? Say, behold your God. And then in verses 12 through 26, there are these series of comparisons where God is saying, what am I like? Think of the greatest things you can think of in this world, and I am far greater than all of these things. In verses 12 to 14, God is compared to creation. God has, it says, God has marked off the heavens with a span. A span is like measuring using the width of your hand. That's that's a span. A span is, is um, how God measures the universe. One of the most recently discovered galaxies is 14 billion light years away. That kind of distance, we, we can't even conceive that. That's light traveling 186,000 miles per second. It means if you go to the equator and light could fly around the earth, it would go around the earth seven times in less than one second there. So that's pretty fast. 
And just think, God holds up his hand to measure that 14 billion light years, and, you know, it doesn't quite go across the span of his hand, maybe. That's the analogy that's used. How great is our God? Verses 15 to 17 compares God to the nations. To us, the nations are a big deal. To the ancient Israelites, the Assyrians were bearing down on them. And we might think, what's going to happen with China? Are they getting ahead of us? Are they stealing all of our computer secrets? And are they getting ahead of us in trade? Uh, Are they going to gain power by what's happened in Afghanistan and southern Asia? But, But to God, verse 15 says, Behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket. That's how God looks at them. And in verses 18 to 20, God is compared to the idols of this world. And Isaiah mocks the ancient idols of that day, idols of wood and stone. But even so, with the modern idols of human autonomy from God, or wealth, or power, or success, or pleasure, all of these and others are as nothing to God. And it says in verse 23, God brings princes to nothing. Princes and kings were often seen as gods in that ancient day. But verse 24 says, Scarcely are they planted when he blows on them and they wither. The most powerful ruler on this earth, God just has to breathe on him and he's gone. And so in verse 25, we hear this comparison. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Again, that idea, that refrain. Lift up your eyes. Lift up the eye of faith and look at who I am, O people of God. See the greatness of God. And we would say, see the comfort and salvation of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ because this chapter contains that as well. There is coming this great glory. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and that was fulfilled when Jesus came and lived and died and rose again. How do we obey this call to wait on the Lord? It is only by fixing the eye of faith upon our sovereign and loving God, the God who sent Jesus Christ, His only Son, to live and to die for us, to be raised in victory, to reign at the Father's right hand, offering salvation for all who will trust in Him. The comfort is our, the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of eternal life in Christ. And so to wait on the Lord begins by seeing something of who God is in His Word and also seeing something of your own sin and need and desperate condition apart from Him. And then to take God at His word and trust in Jesus Christ, and that is what it means to become a Christian. And then you have begun to live by faith each day with the assurance that now you belong to God through Jesus Christ and that He is with you whatever may befall Even when your way becomes hard and deeply perplexing, you know you belong to Him and you can trust your faithful Savior and Lord. And so we worship, we grow in looking at God as we hear the Word of God preached. We grow by singing the great hymns and songs of the faith in Bible reading and Bible study and meditation on the Word of God each day and all the means of grace God has given to us 
by the Word of God. And so we ask, how is God calling us to wait on Him this day and this week? For 38 years, Marie Durant refused to recant her faith in Jesus. She was looking beyond the walls of that prison tower to her good and gracious God. I doubt that any of us here will ever face that particular type of testing, but there are many other ways that God chooses to work in His children's lives. And whatever He brings, may you and I learn to wait patiently in hope and trust in Him through Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, You have called us to walk in the way that Jesus walked, to take up our cross daily and follow Him, trusting Him, looking only to You. Lord, we seek to do that. Renew our resolve even now as we're bowed before You. And if anyone here has never come to trust Jesus Christ, may You open his or her eyes to the beauty and the glory and the truth of the Gospel and of the love and grace and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We pray in His name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.